News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. The Waukesha uh, Police Department holding a news conference right now. Let's go ahead and uh, we'll pick that up here. Uh, this is actually on delay. I'm going to back up to the beginning so we hear the entirety of the uh, news conference. Lesson in, in vocation. Thank you. Good afternoon. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray today for those who have been entrusted into your eternal care. We ask that you comfort their loved ones at this time and touch them with your loving grace. Please bless those who have been injured and grant them care. Please comfort the witnesses to this tragedy. Thank you for the efforts of all first responders, healthcare professionals, and citizens who responded and assisted the many victims. We ask for healing in this land and an end to the violence that seems to be all around us. Let us take strength from your eternal promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We ask this all with great humility and confidence in your most powerful name. Amen. Thank you, Chaplain Papa Cristo and Chaplain Chris Marine. Chief Dan Thompson. I'm just going to recap and uh, provide an update. At 4.39 p.m. on Sunday, November 21st, 2021, a lone subject intentionally drove his maroon SUV through barricades into a crowd of people that was celebrating the Waukesha Christmas Parade, which resulted in killing five individuals and injuring 48 additional individuals. I just received information that uh, two of the 48 are children and they're in critical condition. We have information that the suspect prior to the incident was involved in a domestic disturbance, which was just minutes prior, and the suspect left that scene just prior to our arrival uh, to that domestic uh, disturbance. When the suspect was driving through into the crowd, one officer did discharge his firearm and fired shots at the suspect to stop. Uh, the threat, but due to the amount of people had to stop um, and uh, stop and fire no, did not fire any other additional shots. The officer is on administrative leave as part of the department protocol. No one was injured as a result of the officer firing uh, his discharging his fire weapon, firearm. The subject was taken into custody a short distance from the scene, and we are confident he acted alone. There's no evidence that this is a terrorist incident. Due to the wind yesterday, there was a power outage downtown Waukesha to further complicate our emergency response. I want to identify the victims that we've at, that we know of at this time. And I say this with great sorrow. Virginia Sorensen, 79 year old female. Leanna Owens, 71-year-old female. Tamara Durand, 52-year-old female. Jane Coolidge, 52-year-old female. Wilhelm Hospital, 81-year-old male. The suspect involved in this tragic incident is identified as Daryl E. Brooks, male 39 years of age, who is a resident of the city of Milwaukee. At this time, the Waukesha Police Department is referring five counts of first degree intentional homicide with additional uh, charges based on the investigation, but those will come in time. 
There are many roads in downtown area uh, were closed as investigate, investigators worked through the crime scene. Those roads have since been open. I'll say this, minutes after an incident occurred, uh, I responded to the scene and what I saw out of chaos and tragedy was heroes. First responders and the community coming together and working together on triaging victims, uh, the fire department, working in partnership with the fire department, getting these victims to the hospital. Fire department transported multiple victims. Uh, Chief Howard will talk about that. Officers picked up victims and put them in a squad and rushed them to the hospital. And citizens also picked up victims and rushed them to the hospital. There's also off-duty um, law enforcement, fire, and EMS personnel that were attending this event who immediately got involved and took part in saving lives. I want to thank our community partners. I want to dispel some rumors. There's no pursuit that led up to this incident. This is not a terrorist event. I want to thank our first responder partners. It is a long list, and I apologize, we apologize if I forgot anyone. Washaw Police, Police Washaw Fire Department. No words can express the partnership that we have with the Washaw Fire Department, how we work together as one in this incident. Uh, Mavis Mutual Aid Box Alarm System, Chief Howard will talk about that. The, sub the Suburban Mutual Aid Response Team, which we call SMART, um, responded, which it includes a dozen local law enforcement agencies. All right, that's the police chief of Waukesha Police. That's uh, Chief Dan Thompson. And the fire chief is there as well, Steve Howard. Uh, doesn't really have any real new information except that the uh, suspect that we already knew, his name, Daryl Brooks, I believe, um, that he's going to be, they're going to pursue five counts of first degree homicide against him. And um, that he, that there was no pursuit, police were not chasing him. And that he says it wasn't a terrorist event. But there isn't any explanation yet as to why he would have driven into this parade. Why did he do that? If he was involved in this domestic dispute, cops were called. He then flees that scene. Why are you driving into... And people who are from Waukesha, they and I've seen them on social media talking about this parade route. This is not a route that is uh, that that you would, like, drive through in order, you know, because you needed to get somewhere else. You had to take this route. It's actually the opposite. This is like an out-of-the-way area that you would not utilize if you're trying to flee. But maybe he thought he needed to do that because... Uh, the cops surely wouldn't follow him through there. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, like I said earlier, a lot of times in these types of situations, we are trying to find a rational explanation for things, and there isn't one. But, uh, so that's uh, th that's what we know right now. Uh, we've got the list of the victims, five counts, first degree homicide. Now, uh, this guy, I did see this also. Hang on a second. This guy was out on bail, and... 
do, 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 do. Here it is. The Milwaukee County District Attorney says that Daryl Brooks should not have been released on such a low cash bond earlier this month. They're conducting an internal review. This according to Kristen Barbarisi. Barbarisi? Uh, she's an investigative reporter at CBS 58. CBS 58. Yeah, I didn't even know the channels went that high. Um, so the DA's office issued two counts of second degree recklessly endangering safety and felon in possession of a firearm back in July 2020 against Daryl Brooks. February 2021, the state was prepared to proceed to a scheduled jury trial. Brooks was still in custody on that matter and previously made a demand for a speedy jury trial. Because another jury trial was already in progress before the same court, the defendant's demand for a speedy trial could not be met. The case was adjourned, bail reduced to 500 bucks, which he posted and walked on February 21st, 2021. November 5th, the Milwaukee's, uh, the Milwaukee DA's office um, issued against him, Mr. Brooks, charges of second-degree recklessly endangering safety, felony bail jumping, battery, obstruction, uh, or obstructing an officer, and disorderly conduct. The most recent case against him was appropriately charged. The state made a cash Bail request in that case of $1,000 that was set by the court. The defendant posted the $1,000 and walked on November 11th. The state's bail recommendation in this case was inappropriately low in light of the nature of the recent charges and the pending charges. And so the office is currently conducting an internal review of the decision. 11-10-99-3-WBT. So the police chief of Waukesha, Dan Thompson, is now taking questions from the media. We'll rejoin that press conference. There was some type of disturbance um, that we suspect was between the suspect and another individual or individuals at a different location just prior to the incident. Shortly after this tragedy occurred, officers immediately identified the suspect vehicle. And shortly after that, they apprehended the suspect. The suspect had no injuries. Um, and then uh, after he was detained, um, he was taken into custody. Did he say anything about why he didn't That's stop? still ongoing. Uh, and this is, this is a fluid investigation. What we do not want to do is jeopardize the integrity of this investigation at any point. Right now, our focus the Waukesha Police Department's focus, the city of Waukesha's focus is the families, the victim, and due process, right, because that's, in, that's important. Brett Lemoy? Yeah, Chief. Uh, is this for the Chief? Okay, go ahead. Can you just elaborate on that domestic situation? We understand that there may have been a knife involved. Asking for an elaboration on the domestic so, situation. We have no information that Brooks knew anybody in, in, in the parade. But I will say this, um, we weren't able even to respond to that domestic call before it actually, um, so we couldn't even investigate it. So was there, was there an initial complaint of Mike being involved? Yes. Do we know if there actually was one there? We don't know, because we didn't even make it there. Hmm. Uh, we ended up immediately responding to the crisis. 58, please, who's this for 58? A chief or? There's been a lot of confusion about just how this person got through the parade. I guess questions about barricades and that kind of thing. Is there anything that's come up in your investigation that you can speak to about why that would be, how he actually got through and managed to get into this crowd? 
I'll tell you this, we actually had a squad and barricades up and he drove right through uh, the barricades and the officers. When the officer tried to engage and stop the threat, he still continued through the crowd. Chief, what was the distance? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, we're, going, we're going with Channel 4 next. They might follow the rules. Chief, we really appreciate it. You can go back and spell the names of the victims and Give you, give you a moment. Okay. All right. While we're waiting for I will come back to Nikki from the Freeman. Go ahead. It's awful. Who's this for? Feed. Come on, Fox. Get it together. Do you have a cleaner feed? The, the, the parade route where the vehicle entered was in the area of Hartwell and Main Street. And the end of the parade route where the vehicle took off from was like right around Veterans Park, Maine and Maple area, Maine and Wisconsin Avenue. Okay, back to four. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. <coughs> I'm going to repeat the names. And again, I apologize for getting emotional about it. Hey, Chief, we're gonna, actually, we're going to put it on the release. I'll put the names out on the press release. We'll post that on the internet so we get all outlets. Uh, yes, state where your agency is from and your name, uh, who you'd like sure. to speak to. Nancy Chen from CBS News. I have a question for Chief Howard. Um, Chief Howard. Chief, what did your first responders see after the parade? So this is the fire chief. Yeah, so what did you, what did you, what did they see? Paint the picture for us. As much blood and gory detail as possible. Oh, TV reporters. Don't ever change. Um... So uh, I, I find this interesting. So for, again, if you are uh, if you were hoping to hear of a motive, uh, you're disappointed because they did not provide that. They are still doing their investigation. Once again, it hasn't even been 24 hours. But I urge everyone to just wait. I understand that people in media and uh, people you know trying to service a political agenda will. Uh, race forward with their uh, with their own narrative, but it doesn't help to have all sorts of lies swirling around a story. So I would recommend you just monitor all and uh, or just listen to this sh- uh, this show and this station because like we'll we'll get you the the truth and we'll get you the details out of the investigation. We cover all sorts of different media outlets. We're not. Uh, limited to only one and it's one of the benefits honestly of being like in in the position that we're in is that like i can pull reports from everywhere and bring them all to you so all right the chief is back up again let's take a listen um as i'm watching officers and and fire personnel uh, triaging and taking victims put them in ambulances and putting them in squad cars I have a, a nurse who walks up to me and says, my mother was injured, can we get her help? Sure enough, we helped her get her mother into a vehicle and we escorted her, uh, the vehicle out of the scene safely. This is for the family. I want to ask you to respect the family. Um, this is a very tragic incident. And again, it's still so fluid. So, and, and I'm going. All right. It, this is. I will say also, and now they're wrapping it up. They're going to stop it there. This is also one of the things that. Uh, and I know they said that it's not a terrorist event, which I assume because I got an email or a, rather a tweet about that. 
Uh, how do we define terrorist attack? A terrorist attack is any attack that is designed to swing public policy by making the populace so afraid that they force their policymakers to change the course of whatever, you know, policy you're trying to have changed. Like that's the that there's a policy objective to it. That's generally what terrorism means. When you're targeting civilians in order to get them to pressure political leaders to change course. Okay. Um, now, I, I, I am of the mindset, uh, after I read a book by Caleb Carr, a war historian, long after 9-11, and he talked about how it never works. It used to be called total war, the targeting of civilians. It's been utilized throughout history, and uh, his argument was that it, it never achieves the aims of the terrorists. It always actually works against their aims. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. That's the Black Crows. All righty, so I got a a press release from uh, U.S. Senate candidate, current Congressman Ted Budd, and he's joining us. Is he joining us tomorrow? He is joining us tomorrow. We're going to have two congressmen on the program tomorrow. It's an embarrassment of riches. Uh, so we got Ted Budd tomorrow, but he sent a letter to the Charlotte mayor, Vi Lyles, asking for answers after the city council approved a plan to reportedly spend a bunch of money, like, um, I don't know how much of the 60 million, 60 million in the American rescue plan funding on causes that do not have a direct relation to the COVID-19 pandemic. So they want so the city has a bunch of money allocated to spend for things not related to the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, sort of like China and that Wuhan Institute of Virology. No cause whatsoever. It's not at all connected. No, no. Sorry, just kidding. All right, so what is this all about? Why is Ted Budd sending this? City Councilman Tark Bakari was on this morning with Bo Thompson on WBT. They had a conversation about this, and I think this is where it actually comes from. So uh, Ryan's got the audio. Hit it, Ryan. Go. Uh, as for tonight, you're anticipating this being a, a must-see uh, city council meeting for a variety of reasons, but one of them uh, is actually connected in some way to uh, North Carolina Congressman Ted Budd, who uh, wrote a letter uh, in recent days uh, critical for how the city is using some of its COVID dollars, uh, and this is in relation to uh, the mayor, uh, Vi Lyles. What about tonight? What can you tell me uh, as far as background goes here? Sure. Well, before um, Congressman Budd weighed in, we were already tracking towards the drama-filled night. Uh, I think um, then Congressman Budd weighed in from his own perspective, watching this, uh, again, from ARPA, you know, Federal Dollars Act. And and he only just kind of brought more attention to what we were already doing. Uh, For the last over a year, the mayor has been doing some very strange things that, that really need answering. And this is where we were tracking. It all came to a head at our retreat, where um, we were, we as an entire council of Republicans and Democrats, brought down a path um, where it really felt fishy at the time. They wouldn't answer our questions as it related to, why do you need this emergency vote from us to spend money that you can't tell us what the plan is? 
Uh, and the answer was, you know, we, it, we can't tell you. And if we have to come back and you don't approve it today, it just won't work. So everyone voted for it except for me. And lo and behold, six days later, we understand why it, was, why it all happened. Uh, because the mayor stood on a stage and announced the mayor's initiative, which was essentially a, a racial justice initiative um, that all the council members, all of us, found out about um, not just what it was and how it was branded, but what money we had approved ourselves that we didn't realize was part of all that. So, um, you know, that's just, from our perspective, that's a governance problem, that's a trust problem. Um, it, it may not even be a legal vote, but now... Congressman Bud weighs in very interestingly to ask, um, did she also break the law? Uh, those funds are designed for small businesses and COVID relief, um, not for uh, racial justice initiatives and other things of that nature. And all that work is amazing. Our private sector partners need to be applauded for it. But what the mayor did uh, at a minimum needs answers and, and at a maximum might need jail time. I don't know. Oh, well, and, and what about your colleagues? I mean, is this something that there's concern about on both sides of the aisle? Absolutely. Uh, every, every single person on this council found out about this when she was on stage. And, and I mean, that's, that's saying a lot when you're saying that it announced $100 million of public sector money, much of which was in our scope and our wheelhouse. Every one of them learned about it there. Every one of them is frustrated, and there's varying levels, but there are Democrats as well that are just as mad and frustrated and upset that the mayor would have gone down this path as I am, and someone needs to answer these questions to us. That's what tonight's about. All right, so one thing I would just, uh, I would just disagree with Councilman Bakari on, just one minor point, if you will, that isn't every Monday city council must-see TV? <laughs> drama filled city council tonight yay so my night's taken care of that's what i'm doing um ted bud put out this uh letter to the mayor i've got uh, i have the letter and uh, i've got portions of it here let me give it to you the uh letter states i write in light of a recent budgetary decision by the city of charlotte as you know on october 26th the Charlotte City Council approved a plan to spend $60 million of the roughly $71 million it got from the American Rescue Plan Act, or the ARP Act, or as I like to call it, the ARPA. The $71 million federal distribution comes on the heels of the approximately $154 million the city of Charlotte received from the federal government under the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, or the CARES Act. The federal support offered by the CARES Act and the ARPA was conditioned on Congress's intent that federal funds pay specifically for pandemic-related endeavors. He then cites some statutory and regulatory guardrails. And then he says the city of Charlotte, uh, yeah, the city council published a graphic that's light on specifics and outlines, for example, that under the umbrella of community vitality, $15 million from ARPA funds will be spent on digital inclusion and grassroots nonprofit support. I have personally heard from North Carolinians that the process to determine the allocations of the federal funding was rushed and lacked significant stakeholder or community input. I'll tell you, uh, the re- uh, give you the rest of the letter here uh, in a moment. Uh, he goes on to... 
uh, make some specific uh, requests of the Charlotte City Council. Well, he says, in light of these concerns and in the interest of good governance and responsible oversight, uh, he says, provide my, please provide my office with the following information. Congressman Ted Budd, currently running for U.S. Senate from North Carolina, sent a letter to the Charlotte mayor, Vi Lyles, asking for information over concerns about the way some money that came from the federal government, ostensibly to help the city uh, respond and uh, recover from COVID under the American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA funds, somewhere in the neighborhood of about $60 million, being appropriated for things that are not uh, necessarily COVID-related. He says, in light of these concerns and in the interest of good governance and responsible oversight of federal taxpayer dollars, please provide my office with the following information. Substantive details about both the total spending plan of any appropriated federal taxpayer dollars of CARES Act and ARP Act, or ARPA, uh, with specific note of the digital inclusion and grassroots nonprofit support categories. Also, explain how spending on these two identified initiatives with the help of the City of Charlotte, or how it will help the City of Charlotte recover from the immediate public health and economic consequences of the pandemic. Also, cite provisions of the CARES Act and the ARP Act including any associated federal guidance that authorize spending on these projects. A detailed breakdown of planned projects or awardees of any ARPA or CARES funding, um, as well as the criteria used by the city. So basically, show me your work. Tell me about these initiatives and show me where it says you can use this money to fund these initiatives because they don't seem like they're connected to the COVID response. And this ties back to what Councilman Tark Bakari said and uh, other council members that are apparently, I'm not sure if they are uh, going to make a big deal about this tonight publicly, challenging the mayor on some of this stuff. But after they approved the spending of this money a couple weeks back, and they said that if they did not do it right then and there with limited details, then the money would be lost. And so they all fell in line, well, all except Tark Bakari. They all fell in line and they voted for it. And now they and they didn't know what they were basically voting for until a couple days later. The mayor gets up on stage and announces a big, you know, public private partnership deal with a bunch of banks and a bunch of local businesses. And look at us. We're, you know, striving for the equity and such. And now there are questions about whether or not that money should have been used, or it can be used, I should say, can be used for those initiatives. Spending, he, uh, uh, Congressman Bud says, spending federal funds allocated specifically to help communities respond to and recover from the COVID pandemic on non-germane city priorities is not permitted by law. It further erodes the public's trust of federal and local governments responsibly stewarding tax dollars. Your help in clarifying the city of Charlotte's actions would be tremendously helpful in assuaging concerns about any possibly misdirected federal funds. Yeah, that's what it would do. (laughs) Assuage concerns. 
We'll see. It'll be up on the uh, council meeting agenda tonight. And uh, let's see what else here. Apparently, the lieutenant governor has said something else that has prompted backlash. I'll get to that in a second. First, a reminder that Tuesday, December 7th, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Bank of America Stadium, collecting all of the bicycles for the kids. Hancock's Bikes for Kids. We need some bikes. Now, I am not advocating you go out and steal bikes from people. But if you show up with bikes, I'm not going to ask how you got them. I'm just saying. No, just if you see them, buy them. Because the uh, supply chain issues, obviously, could put a crunch on this uh, product uh, for Christmas. So uh, Tuesday, December 7th, we're collecting the bikes. So between now and then, if you see a bike, uh, let people know uh, or buy it yourself. We appreciate it. Let us know. We appreciate it. And um, we collect them all and then give them to local kids. John has been doing this for almost 30 years. I mean, back when he was still riding bicycles as a, as a mere tot, as a lad, John started this bike drive 28 years ago. He was like four or five at the time, I want to say. So uh, go to WBT.com for all of the details. Hancock's Bikes for Kids. All right, so... I'm not I'm not sure what Mark Robinson said, okay? I don't know what he said. But it was something uh about gay people again and I'm assuming it was probably at a church where he's been going around and doing these uh sermons and speeches and such at churches. And so now it has prompted a response from the log cabin North Carolina uh the log cabin Republicans. Um, Kyle Lubke, the president of the Log Cabin Republicans of North Carolina, released the following statement in response to comments. That's all it says. The continued unacceptable rhetoric coming from Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson has no place in the GOP of Donald Trump, the first president to support marriage equality on day one of his presidency and the first to include an openly gay man on his cabinet. Trump's GOP is inclusive of gay Republicans, but Lieutenant Governor Robinson's unfortunate comments give fuel to the media and the left's false attacks. The President Trump and the GOP are, quote, anti-LGBT, while alienating business interests looking to bring new jobs and opportunities to the state. His comments demean LGBT Americans, including the record number of LGBT conservatives who voted Republican last year. LGBT conservatives already face attacks from the left for supporting the GOP and President Trump. The last thing they need is to be maligned by the highest ranking Republican in North Carolina. This uh, this month's stunning elections in Virginia and New Jersey were a reminder that inclusion is a winner for Republican campaigns. We do not want to see Democrats win a third term to the governorship in 2024 or lose our legislative majorities in 2022. Because of this, we call upon all Republicans in North Carolina to work with the log cabin Republicans toward a more inclusive and diverse Republican party. So that's their statement. I would also point out that uh, Larry Shaheen retweeted this. Larry Shaheen's a uh, Charlotte area lawyer. He's a a lobbyist guy, Republican guy. And uh, he tweeted this out saying, quote, the model from Virginia is clear. The North Carolina GOP will win when we are more inclusive. Mark Robinson's comments do not reflect the 21st century GOP. Thank you, Log Cabin NC President Kyle 
uh, Lukey, for raising awareness that unless we want a Democrat as governor, we need to do better. So again, I'm not sure. Yeah, okay, so somebody asked him on Twitter, wasn't he talking about teaching transgenderism and porno to little kids in school? (laughs) Uh, And then Larry replied, not this time. This time the comments were aimed directly at folks for being gay or lesbian. We cannot continue uh, to be demeaning to these folks. It's a loser long term. Besides being against the example set for us by Christ, it's time to be accepting of those who are different. So I don't know. So I, I, like I said, I don't know what Robinson said. I did a quick scroll through the Twitters. I don't see what he said. Uh, I'll go find it, though. Tonight I'll be watching the Charlotte City Council meeting because that's the kind of guy I am. I'm a giver. I watch it so you don't have to. But we'll see you tomorrow. Brett Winterbull's up next. Stick around. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Thank you.